Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.dcmp.org slash learn slash 658 to enter and keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our presentation today. I am trainer Matt from the Tech Juggernaut at ttjtech.net. And we are excited to be with you once again this afternoon. I believe I'm joined by trainer Cliff of the TTJ instructor team. Not sure if if Rita or Steph or anybody else are with us today. I know that uh, at least one of them will be coming in if, uh, if, if he's not already done so. And this is going to be a very interesting uh, uh, presentation today because what we're going to do is we're going to take some popular myths, some popular rumors, things that have uh, have become known in the Apple community over the years, and we're going to dispel some of the bad information, some of the falsehoods that have surrounded Apple products and how to use them and so on. And, and so we're going to do away with some things. And I think this is really important because, you know, we need to know how to properly use our devices and what is good for our devices and what's not. And really and truly, there have been a lot of uh, false claims made over the years. And getting rid of those and, and stripping it down to just what actually is true about our devices is a fantastic way to, um, obviously, to, to, to spread the correct uh, information, but also it really will make the experience much more pleasant when you realize you don't have to be so uptight about certain things that uh, many believe we do have to be uptight about. And so there's that component to this. And and, and I also want to stress to you that um, Apple is user guides for every major device category. And they are updated constantly. And each year, uh, they, they release a brand new guide, and then they update that guide throughout the year. At least that's how it's been in the past. I mean, in any given year, that could change in the, the format or the structure, uh, of course, but uh, that's how it's been. So, for example, here with iOS 14 back in September, a brand new user guide was released for the iPhone, for the iPad, uh, and I think... Maybe I can't remember whether the Apple TV and Apple Watch guides were new releases or just updated. But either way, if you search, you will find out. And the um, these guides really are not leaving anything out. Now they they you know they don't tell you step by step how to do every single thing, but they give you an overview of every app that is that ships with your device. They give you all the details about safety and handling information and you know all these kinds of things that you that you really do need to know 
So I really strongly encourage you to rely first and foremost on those user guides. Um, you know, there are a lot of times when websites, websites that I respect very deeply, and some of which I even follow, websites like Mac Rumors, Apple Insider, 9to5Mac, and others, will do these extensive guides on a certain app uh, or a certain feature. Or sometimes they'll release articles like, you know, 10 iPhone tricks that will make your life easier. And those are great to read. And those, you know, I always look at those whenever they come out because sometimes maybe there's little finite details that weren't placed in the user guide that, you know, those articles will cover more in depth. But having said that, I really want to stress that the user guide doesn't leave anything out, all right? It, it, it does provide a, a very um, general overview of each thing. Not every detail is in there, but really it does provide everything you need. So I really believe using the user guide as your first resource, your go-to resource, is one of the greatest ways you can equip yourself to learn about your devices. And you combine that with services that, you know, we, we offer, for example, at TTJ, you know, the free classes and, and virtual help sessions. And there are other great folks out there doing these same kinds of things, Apple Viz and others, you know, you, all these resources together can really help you um, to become proficient and uh, very experienced and skilled at your, the use of your Apple devices. But of course, sometimes it gets muddy, right? There's, there's sometimes there's just information out there that just plain and simple isn't true. And so that's where we are going to start today with some of the most common ones that we've heard. And uh, then we're going to take your questions. Maybe there'll be things that you have heard um, that, uh, you know, we can comment on. You want to ask us about something that, uh, that you heard someone say about an iPhone or an iPad, you know, see if in fact it is or is not true. And so uh, we'll do our best to, to answer that as well. I don't know um, if if Trainer Cliff has arrived or anybody else from the team. If if they have, uh, perhaps we can uh, unmute them and uh, we will go ahead and get started. I uh, am going to start. I'm here, Matt. Oh, hey, how you doing? Hi, <laughs> I'm good. All right. Yeah, well, good. This will be cool. So if, if you have any uh, specifically, I've got a few already in mind. Um, I'm here, too, to make sure you don't make any mistakes. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> Um, what would you guys say? I'll I tell you, I, I can think of, I can think of a few. Uh, one of the ones that, that I want to start with, uh, how many times have we heard inaccurate information about, and this is especially, you know, especially important to voiceover users about the screen curtain, right? Oh, we hear yes. <laughs> in, yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. Tell them about that, Rita. <laughs> 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 okay um you don't have to i can do it i just i no, just wanted to i don't care no i can't if you want or whatever the uh well the yeah people, curtain, people think the screen curtain actually dims the screen and saves battery power right right exactly and we, go ahead and we this this rumor is false wrong <laughs> it is it is absolutely wrong screen power screen curtain does not save battery power so to give you a little history, Screen Curtain was designed for voiceover users who, you know, and I don't know where the idea 
precisely came from. But I can tell you the problem that it solves, and I assume this is what Apple was thinking when they added the feature. You know, those of us who are not looking at our screens, we may not realize what our brightness is. We may not realize how close other people are to us and how much they can see. A sighted user can kind of regulate that. You know, people say, well, why do you need screen curtain? Every sighted user is looking at their screen. Yeah, but they're, they're more visually aware of what's going on around them, right? I mean, how many of us have walked out of the room and left the light on just because we didn't know it was on, A, and, and B, we didn't think about, or the opposite is true. You know, people will come into the house, we'll have company, company or I'll give, uh, you know, I give piano lessons sometimes or things like that, and I'll, I'll, somebody will say, hey, do you mind if I put a light on? And I just, you know, I had just totally forgotten. It's not that I was trying to keep them in the dark, but I didn't even think about it. It just didn't even cross my mind. And so, you know, the same is true with our iOS devices. We may not realize and, and we may not think to check what our screen brightness is and how close it is to the proximity of other people we don't know. And the last thing we would want is someone looking over our shoulders at our devices, right? It's not that we're trying to hide anything, but, you know, you have a private text conversation with, with your spouse or your child or parent or, or your, your, you know, your, anything else, your web searches. I mean, we just need that assurance that we can have privacy when we need it, right? And so Screen Curtain was designed to do just that. It was designed to take away the visual uh, stuff that's on the screen and, and you're relying entirely on voiceovers output, whether it's speech or Braille or both. But the way that it does it is by displaying all black on the screen. It does not save battery power. If you really want to save battery power, you can turn down your screen brightness. If that's something that you want to do, if that's a concern, I don't find it necessary. And I, you know, I share my phone with uh, my devices, you know, with, with sighted family. I mean, they have their own too, but sometimes they'll ask me to see or I'll say, hey, look at this, you know. So I typically don't turn my brightness down. And, and we'll talk about that in a little bit too when we talk about battery saving and, and some of the myths that surround batteries. Uh, but if that's a concern, you definitely can go into the control center. You can turn down your brightness. Uh, and there's also um, an accessibility feature under settings and accessibility. And I believe, oh, is it just called auto brightness, guys? I can't even remember. It's been so yes. long since I've mm -hmm. Yeah, auto, and auto brightness and... Right, under, under display tone. accommodations. And True Tone is another one. So True Tone, mm -hmm. um, which is actually, I think, under settings and display and brightness, uh, allows the, the Auto brightness color. is there, too. What's that? Auto brightness is there, too. Oh, it's there, too? Is it in both yeah. places, or was it? I don't know. It's if it's in, I've never looked for it in accessibility, but I know it's oh, under display and see, brightness. Okay, see, I was thinking it was moved at some point, but you could be right. Maybe it was the other way around. Well, anyhow, both of those options... And, and so True Tone is going to cause the color temperature to adjust automatically to the colors in the room around you. And the higher end devices have this, right? So all the iPhone 12 series, 11 series, the iPad Pros, uh, they have this True Tone um, capability. And that's something that, you know, we recommend everybody have on. It's, it's really going to help you if you can see it. Um, but then the, the auto brightness is going to allow the brightness of the device to automatically adjust based upon the ambient light in the room around you. So that's another way you can, you can save battery power. Um, but 
turning screen curtain on will not save battery power. That's the bottom line with that story. It, it, it's going to give you the privacy that you want. Nobody's going to see what's on your screen, but it will not save battery power because it's just displaying black on the screen the same as it you know would display anything else. Right. So now, that's just a, a, a thought on that before you move to something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, um, you know, just as a reminder uh, for screen curtain, it's a three finger triple tap to toggle yes. it on or off. Um, and there's a lot of people now, again, these, this is personal preference kind of things. Um, but for like the true tone and the brightness adjustments, um, just be aware, like if you're going to show a sighted person a picture um, or, you know, some content on your phone, something's really cool. What's awesome about these iDevices is that uh, it's like we're using the same devices that everybody else is using. It's not something different. And uh, so it's so much so neat to be able to share stuff with people like a, a joke or a, a picture of your cat or, you know, something like that. And so if you've got these, um, you've got the display set, you know, down to zero and you've got two tone turned off, um, you know, and you show your phone to somebody, you know, obviously they're not going to be able to see it. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you want to make sure that your screen curtains off with a three finger triple tap. And you also want to turn that screen brightness up and you want to turn true tone on, you know, if you're going to share stuff visually with people. And I really think that, us sharing information, you know, emojis, pictures, images, videos. Um, it we we integrate better with the sighted world, and people will communicate with us more. They're like, oh, she has pictures that she shows, you know, kind of, you know what I mean? They just assume they make all these assumptions about blindness and well, and so forth. right, right. And, so I really think, but, and, and I know there's people who, again, this is personal preference, but they keep the, the brightness on their screen down to zero and they always have green screen curtain on. And there's, um, you know, there's a downside to this. If your phone ever locks up, you lose it. You need somebody else to get into it for you. Something happens. Okay. Your voice isn't, you know, if you've got that screen uh, brightness down to zero, it's really going to be hard for an emergency worker, you know, who picks up your phone when you're in a car accident to see your emergency contact because the screen brightness is nothing. <laughs> so, I mean, just be aware of this because, you know, even in an emergency, um, you know, they can turn on the screen and see, you know, your emergency contact. And if, if, if it's not there, they can't see it, you know, they can't do it. And if, so anyway, so there's that. And also just to also talk about privacy, um, they make these glass screen protectors called privacy screen. Yes. And yep. I, dis I discovered this at the Apple store. Um, they put this glass screen over my, glass screen on my phone <laughs> and mm. somebody standing directly to the side of you or, you know, in front of you, they cannot see your full, it looks black to them. If they come straight on your on and like look over your shoulder at your phone, they, they will be able to see it. 
Okay. Yeah. But from a side, I mean, it's really handy when you're in public situations and you're looking up something and you don't want to turn the screen curtain on or you forgot to turn the screen curtain on this privacy glass. I think it was like, I don't know, like 30 bucks or something. I can't remember what the cost of the glass was something around there, but it really has been very valuable to me. I felt much more secure in public situations when we can go back out in the public <laughs> um, to have my phone on. Um, you know, so even if it's on, people still can't see it from any kind of distance because that that privacy screen is like an optical illusion. It makes the screen look like black from the side. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And and those are uh, privacy glass, privacy shields, you know, again, available from Apple and Amazon and a lot of other places. If that's something that you're interested in, popular manufacturers like Belkin. And uh, some of the others as well. And, and you know, you, you inadvertently, I think, brought up another really big myth that I wasn't really planning to even cover, but I think it's valid and I think it's something we ought to cover. And that is the myth of, you know, because I can't see, I don't need to care about, um, you know, and they're not going to benefit me, uh, these things like pictures and emojis and all that stuff. And I mean, you know, even though we can't see, how awesome is it when you receive an emoji in a message from somebody or, you know, a screen effect or something like they are a lot of fun, not only to send, but to receive because voiceover tells you about these things. And it's never, ever been as good of a time as it is now for us, because for the first time in history, we've been able to be part of these things like sending emojis, receiving emojis and screen effects and sending photos and captioning photos and uh, what else, you know, all these kinds of things that typically were left to our sighted counterparts. And, you know, when I was a kid, even then I, I could not, I have no recollection of seeing, I lost my sight by the time I was three years old. But even as a kid, I wanted to do the things that everybody else was doing. And, you know, we were just getting into technology when I was a kid. I mean, it was just right on the border. Um, we got the internet in our home in 1997. It was dial-up. It was very slow. You basically set aside a time of day to get on the internet. It was like an actual activity, um, you know, because it would tie up your phone lines and all these things, you know, very, very different from what we have today. But it was so exciting even then. And I always wanted to make use of every aspect of it, even the parts that I couldn't see. I used to, um, you know, well, I, I won't take up too much time with it, but, uh, you know, I like to have different colors in my text and all these sorts of things, you know. And uh, I just wanted to point out that, you, you know, you said you, you guys had dial up. Was it a was it a plug in modem? Uh, the modem was built into the, you know, it was a, a PC car. Uh, um, PCI or, or, you know, one of those. Okay. I can, I can go back just a little bit further back in. I think it was 91 when you had to put the phone receiver on top of the modem just to get internet. Now that was, Oh my, wow. Wow. (laughs) And you're right. You had to set aside time to do it because you couldn't be on the phone in the internet at the same time back then. So, right. That's right. Yep. Star 70 comma had to be in front of your dial-up number. Remember that? It would disable your call waiting, you know? And uh, yeah, it was a whole different world we could talk about sometime. That might be a neat uh, presentation to do sometime, the nostalgic, you know, recollecting on all the changes in tech. But uh, anyway, I won't take up too much time with it. But just to say, I wanted to do these things that my sighted peers were doing. And I know I've shared the story before, maybe not on an ACB call, 
Uh, I apologize if it is redundant, but it just stands out so much in my mind, not because I'm still offended. I really wasn't even offended then, but I was just shocked. I was actually told I was having a uh, an issue with a screen reader. It was a Windows screen reader, and it, uh, I was having an issue with the compatibility between that screen reader and a webcam. And I was actually told by a screen by a, a representative of that company, in so many words, that really there's no reason a blind person should care whether their webcam will work for them or not. I mean, that's you know that was the mentality of people. And of course, Apple has completely changed all that, and we see that there is value in it, and it is fun when you receive these things from people and you can actually be part of this world that everybody else is, is, you know, getting so excited about. So that in and of itself, I think Rita, that you brought that up is, is so true, you know, and it's, it's worth talking about. Um, while we're on the subject of privacy, I want to jump to something completely different. Uh, another popular, um, uh, false claim myth, whatever you want to call it, uh, that, that sort of circulates around the community every so often. Um, and, and that is the myth that uh, Apple or any of these companies is basically big brother, you know, and, and that they, they're aware of every single thing that I'm doing and they're seeing all my moves and everything, you know, all of this stuff. All right. And, and the bottom line is that that myth is false. Now, they do have access to tons and tons of data and tons of information. It is often rather vague. It's often rather generalized, okay? It's typically not per se associated with you as an individual, but rather with, with patterns, right? So we can, we can aggregate data as to the general maneuvering of people if we need to for locations and stuff like that. But the other thing you need to understand is that this stuff is happening in the background, and it's happening by machinery, okay? It, it's not happening by humans. There are not people sitting down, combing through your data, listening to your conversations, looking at what you're doing. That would be extremely unethical and probably illegal, and even the companies that I'm not as thrilled about what they do for security and privacy, I've made no secret of the fact that I believe Apple is better than all of the other ones, Amazon, Google, all, you know, when it comes to security and privacy, even those other companies, Google, Amazon, they're not doing it either. Okay. Again, it would be unethical. It'd be illegal. And it would really be a waste of somebody's time. They, they have jobs to actually do that they actually do need to get done. They, is it that, fair to say that Amazon's not doing it anymore because wasn't there... A little thing that came out about a year and a half ago that some employees got fired for listening to Alexa conversations. Well, and I think I think there, Cliff, yes, there was. And I think that is exactly where we need to apply a glass half full mentality instead of a glass half empty one. That is the proof that it's not happening, because when it did happen, those people were swiftly caught and reprimanded. And as you said, I believe they actually lost their jobs. So when that is discovered in those rare cases, because there's always bad actors, right? We've seen bad actors all over this world in all kinds of things. We just saw some at the Capitol in a horrible, uh, you know, what went terrible. It's not a political statement, but it, you know, it just went terribly wrong. And, you know, th th there's always going to be bad actors, unfortunately, in this world. And, and when they're, but when, when that happens, they're swiftly dealt with and, and Amazon swiftly dealt with them. So I think that's the point we ought to get out of that 
you know, we can choose how we look at that, right? We can say, oh, that means all my data is out there and I'm constantly in danger. Or we can say, look, when there's a bad actor, they're taken care of. And, and that to me is, is the broader point there. You know, this is not stuff that happens. And again, people don't have that kind of time to waste. I think that's too high of an opinion of myself to think that somebody's actually going to care on a day-to-day basis to listen to my, you know what I mean? They're, they're way too busy for that, right? So what do they actually have when it comes to our voice conversation specifically? And, oh, and if they're listening you know, to me, I hope they're learning something, so. Well, that's it. I mean, that's a good thing <laughs> in some respects, I guess. But, uh, you know, what do they actually have? When, specifically, let's talk about the voice assistants, right? Because there's always this confusion. People say, well, they're not listening unless you say the wake word. And then the response to that, my wife always says, well, then how do they hear the wake word if they're not listening? Well, they are listening, okay? But they're not recording that information to the cloud and they're not storing that information. There is a buffer and Amazon CEO actually wrote about this. I don't know how Apple does it. Uh, you'd think of any of them, I would know the way that Apple does it. But if anything, it's got to be better than Amazon because they're, they're always more secure and more privacy focused than anybody Apple is. Um, but with Amazon, the buffer is like two or three seconds. That means that whatever you're talking, first of all, as I said, it's not sent to the cloud. And it's instantly deleted after those two or three seconds. That buffer is so small. The amount of storage space on an Amazon Echo, for example, that is allocated to your day-to-day speech is only two or three seconds long. And so consequently, that's how it knows when you say the magic word, right? <laughs> the wake word, it is listening, but it's only storing that on, its, its, on the device itself and only for about two to three seconds. As soon as that ends, um, you know, it's gone. And, and the only time it starts sending what you say to the cloud is when you do say the wake word that triggers then the, the interactive experience. Um, the other point is specifically with Apple. And I've shared this in other contexts before. Again, maybe not on ACB, but um, the m- most important things I can stress, Apple is so unique compared to any other uh, smart assistant out there. They do not... They do not associate your spoken data with you. All right. So if you go into your uh, Amazon Alexa app and probably in the Google Assistant app, I haven't been in there for a while, even though I do have a Google Home device and cancel. (laughs) Anyway, um, in both of those cases, I think you can you can look at your uh, spoken history, right? I can go back and see what I asked Alexa, you know, three days ago. To to a point, I mean, again, it's not stored indefinitely either, uh, and it's not unlimited. But what is there, you know, I can go back to some degree, and I can't do that in the Apple Home app. Why not? And the answer is because Apple anonymizes your spoken data. Again, that is a measure. Apple is the only one that takes that measure. It really, really sets them apart. It, over the years, has made it uh, a bit slower to get adoption of third-party integrations. And so people were criticizing Siri for a number of years. Oh, well, they don't have, you know, the same degree of uh, skills that, you know, Echo has. Well, they probably still don't. Uh, But the ones they have are really good, and they're in the form of Siri frameworks, APIs, and Siri shortcuts, And the most important thing about it is the reason that adoption takes longer is because it's a different process with Apple. The security and the privacy protections are much more stringent 
that they have in place. And the main one is, as I said, they anonymize the data. It is not associated with you. So have the option to share your audio that you say with Apple engineers anonymously. And the reason you might elect to do that is overall to improve the experience. Now, again, I really don't think you're going to find that an Apple engineer has listened to every person's shared audio. That's not even reasonable to expect. There are billions of Apple users out there, okay? But they'll take a sampling of them and they'll they'll listen and did this person have a good experience? Did this person, were they frustrated with Siri? Did Siri actually respond in the way that she was supposed to? Or, you know, did she do something totally off the wall? You know, I remember when Siri was much younger, um, my cousin asked for a Sheets store. Some of you have heard of Sheets. It's kind of like 7-Eleven or Wawa or something, uh, S-H-E-E-T-Z. And they asked for the nearest Sheets and it brought up a bedding store, okay? Well, over time, that doesn't happen anymore, okay? Now Siri knows what Sheets is, you know? And why? Because somebody listened to that data, realized there was a problem, and made the corrections, okay? So it is, you've got to have, there is always that balance between privacy and convenience. You've got to have that level of interaction in order for things to improve. Nobody's perfect. And, and artificial intelligence is made by imperfect people, which means it also is not going to be perfect. But it can improve as we improve it and as we improve our understanding of what it's doing. So it's wise, in my opinion, to share that audio data. I share mine from all my devices. But when you set up a device, you're always asked. You're always given the option to opt out of that. But even if you elect to share it, again, with Apple, it's shared anonymously. There is no tie to your person whatsoever. They're listening to these random audio recordings and, and it's as simple as that. So uh, guys, do you have anything to add about that or you know about the privacy aspect of all these devices that we have? I think just to, re- you know, when it comes to privacy, a lot of people, you know, they take uh, a lot of precautions. They make a lot of tweaks in their settings on their devices. And especially um, they they are the best in terms of security stuff with with protecting people. That's why a lot of apps you have to you know, you, you have to be notified if, if uh, the app is trying to get your location, you know, and so forth. And believe me, these other um, providers or whatever you're going to call them, Google, Amazon, um, that data is out there. Facebook, oh my gosh, it's, uh, it's you're not protected. In yeah, Facebook, I think, is probably one of the worst, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those I, other I hate to, You know, I don't like to pick on anybody. That, I, yeah, I mean, I, and, and, and they, they don't really seem, and maybe this is inaccurate, maybe this would, you know, insult Mark Zuckerberg, and I don't mean to do that. I'm sure he's a great guy. God loves him. But he doesn't seem to care that these things have happened. I've seen no recourse on Facebook's part to change their practices. And now they're fighting against Apple, not really fighting, but they're, they're trying to make everybody aware that Apple wants these new um, privacy labels and, and you know, these new things that Apple has recently come out with. It's like a, a nutrition facts guide on the app store pages, right? You've seen, you know, how, what, what they want to share. Well, Facebook is railing against it saying, oh, well, we, we don't, you know, this is stifling competition or whatever. 
well, why do you think it is that they don't like this? Because they're going to have to share things they don't really want to share. Uh, it kind of speaks for itself. Uh, so, yeah, right. I, you know, there's a lot of them not doing the stuff that Apple's doing, not taking those steps, you know. Yep. Yep. Correct. Yep. So. Now, the other side of the coin, Rita, is the other myth that we that we then hear, since we're talking about privacy, well... Rita, I, I don't need I don't need a passcode or two factor authentication. I don't do anything much with my phone, so I don't want to be bothered. Well, where's the line that? <laughs> oh, the reason I'm laughing uh, anyway, uh, the, the, um, you do want to turn on two factor authentication. Um, Absolutely, you, you really do want to turn that on, and I. I know a lot of people have disabled a lot of these things because they, they're struggling to interact with their phone. And that is a muscle memory and practice kind of issue. You know, they've disabled the passcodes on their phone. They don't want the two-factor authentication because they got to go find it and then get back to where they were, you know, to get it. And um, there's, uh, believe me, it's, it's, it, is a very good practice to have two-factor authentication yes. on on everything. Okay, yep. you know, like when you're on websites and and the you know the you know my broker you know want to access a, an account or something. You know, you want this two-factor authentication to be you know in case somebody's trying to hack into your account. You know, so you really want to turn these on. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know exactly. You know. Uh... We can't, you know, Apple does more than any other company for its customers in a lot of ways and, and specifically, you know, with regards to security and privacy. But we have to do our part, okay? We have to take the steps that are common sense steps. And, you know, I mean, there are things that we just accept, even if we're, you know, even if we're living by faith, there are things that we just accept that we have to do as part of living in society, right? You have to have homeowner's insurance of some form. Um, most places, it's a law to have smoke detectors, that, you know, wear seat belts. It's just where things are at in this world. That's what you are asked to do. And I see the two-factor authentication, strong passwords. I see that as exactly the same as that. I believe it's a natural part of the evolution of technology that is just something that you do. And while there's no unsinkable ship in the world of, of security and privacy, um, two-factor authentication specifically is, is the best thing you can do to protect yourself. That in combination with using good, strong, unique passwords, um, because two-factor authentication in the unlikely event somebody would figure out your password and Apple ID combination will then that there's the gate right there. There's the wall where they can't get in now unless you allow them access and give them the code. And again, it's not just Apple. Like Rita said, there's lots of companies, Google, Comcast, actually even Facebook has a form of two fat, you know, all these different companies offer either two factor authentication, two step verification. And the beauty of it is you don't need it once you get a device signed in, right? So when I get a new iPhone, I'll have to do it maybe depending on how I set it up. Or if I restore my phone to factory, I may have to do it. But once that's done, that device is trusted now and it's in. And I don't have to do that every day. See, people are worried, oh, if I enable two-factor authentication every single time I want to use my phone, I have to enter the... No, that's not how it works. 
It's only for new unknown devices. And it's a huge, huge help. And, and that in combination with the other common sense stuff like a good six-digit passcode. Uh, because there are bad actors out there. You know, that's why this stuff was created, right? I mean, there are, you know. And, and so having a good six-digit passcode, having two-factor, having strong and unique passwords for each website that you visit. And why is that so important, by the way? Just in case this hasn't dawned on anybody, just in case it's not common sense to you to realize this, why is it so important that I have a different password for every website? Are they just conspiring to make my life difficult? And the answer <laughs> actually, <laughs> well, there's some, and there's some people that really believe that. Well, you know, oh, yeah. but, but look, and that's okay. But look here, if, if the answer should be really obvious, if you have your email address and a password that you use all the time, and that's associated with every single website that you visit or that you're, you know, you have an account on, if one of those should get into trouble somehow and should be hacked or something, now the bad actor not only has access to that account, but everywhere else that you've created an account with those same credentials. That's why you want to use a different password for each website because if there's a problem, you know how many, if nothing else, the inconvenience, if, if you remember the, I always use them and I feel bad using them because there've been plenty of others, but the one that always comes to mind was Home Depot was very famously uh, hacked a while back and you know they got access to tons and tons of personal data on people. You know, if you had a Home Depot account with that email address and password, people had to say, where else do I have that same email address and password? 50 other websites. Oh my goodness, you know, I got to change all those. <clears throat> So the, the best solution to that is having a different one for every single website or app where you have an account because now then you only have to deal with that one and none other. And- I, I saw, I saw a, a comment the other day from somebody that said, I have changed all my passwords to invalid because then when I can't remember my password, it says it's invalid. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That <laughs> but, you know, what we actually recommend here at TTJ is using iCloud Keychain. And that will actually show you where you've reused passwords. It'll show you passwords that are considered weak. And now, even in iOS 14, this is so cool. It will actually show you if your password has been involved in a data leak. And the first time I saw that, it was scary. But I'm like, you know what? Praise God, this is awesome that I got this information because now I know I need to change this password immediately. And you better believe I did. And so that is one of the coolest things. Keychain makes these recommendations and shows you these warnings. But Keychain also, of course, stores all your passwords securely with military-grade encryption and can enter them automatically on websites and it can and in apps. And it can even suggest new passwords for you. And so when you come to a website where it says create a password, most websites, if the website is coded properly, will automatically trigger Keychain to pop up and say, um, you know, your iPhone or iPad, whatever, created a strong password and it'll be stored in Keychain. You just hit use it, use password. And it. You, I think it says use strong password is the exact uh, verbiage. And there you go. I mean, there are many, many passwords that I don't even know what they are, but they're stored securely in keychain praise god if i need them i just you know access that whenever whenever it's time so this is what we recommend here at ttj and if you are a user of both um 
Apple and let's say Windows, for example. Um, of course, there is no iCloud keychain on Windows, but if you get an app like One Password, it works with keychain and it works with Windows. So you can still use your keychain on Apple, but you can also have those passwords stored on the Windows side of things if you need to. So that's really what we encourage. But at the very least, having uh, strong and unique passwords for every single website, you know, definitely, um, definitely the way to go there. All right. So one of the things that I'd like to uh, move on to here is I want to talk about batteries. There's probably more myths and, and false claims surrounding batteries and battery performance and battery life and all this than just about anything else in the industry. Um, and, and so let's, let's talk first a little about the batteries in our devices, right? So, you know, many years ago, and some of us can remember, because you don't have to actually be all that old to remember the days where batteries had a memory or they could develop a memory. And you, you know, if you didn't use your battery fully before you charged it, you know, it would very quickly stop wanting to take a charge. And then you'd have to condition your battery and do all these other things, you know, and it was these nickel metal hydride batteries in particular uh, were noted, you know, were notorious for that. The batteries in our current devices are typically going to be of the lithium variety, lithium polymer or lithium ion, and are going to be much more, um, much more pleasant to work with in the capacity that we work with them. And one of the most important things we need to understand is that they're designed to work around you. And really that's true of all of our Apple devices in general. They're designed to work around you and to serve you, not the other way around. And the moment you get that in your head, your whole experience is going to change. I know people who are just hung up on, well, how do I have to do this? And, you know, how often should I, you know, when do I need to charge the battery and how long? And, and they're really, what ends up happening, in my opinion, is that the experience has become clouded by all of this worry surrounding whatever it is that they're doing. And it can't possibly be as pleasant of an experience. You want to know what steps I take with my batteries? Absolutely none. I, I probably do everything you shouldn't do uh, according to you know the people that say what you should or shouldn't do. But I still have had no issues. Now, in fairness, I often don't keep devices as long as some people. You know, if you want to keep your device four or five years, um, this iPhone that I have right now is probably the longest I have kept or it's getting there. Um, an iPhone. Uh, it's still the iPhone 11, but it's not actually yet the longest because I haven't even had it a year, but I, I'm in the second, you know, the, the 12 is out and I don't have any immediate plans to upgrade. So I got my phone in May of 2020. So it really hasn't been that long yet, but um, let me go and see what I want to show you. And then I'll tell you how I got this information because this is good information to have, but I want to just give you a number first. I'm looking for for those that are wondering what I'm doing, uh, the battery settings. For, okay, here we go. And I want to look at my battery health. And my battery health is 90%. So I'm in really good shape 
my battery is um, still at peak performance and that's good. Okay. That's where we want to be. We want to be at peak performance. And I'll tell you again what that's about and how I got it in a minute, but I want to talk about these battery myths first. So some of the more common ones are number one, that I have to run my battery down to zero before I charge it. And that is simply not true. And if anything, it's actually better to charge your battery early. And if there's any measure to try to preserve my the longevity of my battery, if there's any measure that I do take, that is the one that I do adhere to, which is charging the battery sooner rather than later, especially with my iPad. I many, many times have forgotten and my iPhone is down to like 2% before I charge it. But my iPad, I charge it every night unless it's like higher than 80% when I go to sleep, but it's usually not because I use it, you know, throughout the day. But, you know, so I charge that every night regardless of where it's at in its in its um, lifespan. And, And usually I'm charging the iPhone every night also, but sometimes it needs it and sometimes it doesn't. You know, it just depends on how I'm using it. We do these Zoom calls. They are battery hogs. Uh, Zoom more than any other service. And WebEx is not far behind it, but they just drain battery like crazy. And so I'm charging my battery a lot more since we're doing all these. But you don't need to wait till your battery is down to zero. And if anything, you're better off charging it early. Now, why is that? Well, batteries have a maximum number of, of um, what they call cycles. Now, a cycle is defined as a full discharge and recharge, okay? It goes down to zero and you charge it up to 100. That's a cycle. And there's a certain, there's a maximum cycle count that every battery has after which it's not going to hold a charge, all right? And that's, that's many, many, many cycles. It's years of use typically. But if you are only discharging your battery to 50 or 60% and then recharging it, you are not going through a full cycle in one time. So consequently, you are preserving your battery by charging it early. You're preserving your battery. You're increasing its longevity by charging it before it gets below 50%. Okay. So that's a tip. And that is one that I do try to adhere to. As I say, many times it doesn't happen, but you know, I, I do that one I do try to pay attention to. And the other one you want to pay attention to is not leaving or, you know, using your phone in, in really hot conditions. You know, if you're, you're not going to leave your phone in a hot car or a cold car or, you know, an iPad and that's just bad. Um, but you know, those things aside, worrying about screen brightness and worrying about apps that are running all the, you know, look, I got my phone, my iPad, all these devices to be able to use them. I want to use them for what they're designed to do. I don't want to have to stop and think about, is this going to be a battery hog or is this going to work? I'm using my device the way I need to use it. And if that uses up a lot of battery power, well, then I'll charge it, you know? And, and if you're concerned about being away and not having a charger, there's a lot of ways you can handle that. You can buy extra chargers. You can buy external battery, um, cases you can buy ex, you know portable chargers there's so many ways to deal with that if you know ahead of time that it may be a concern but i just think using these devices and and that's going to bring me to the next one using them and not getting hung up on these kinds of things like the you know again if you want to turn your screen brightness down if you don't expect you know anybody's going to want to see it or what have you that's fine you know but um really and truly there's nothing you have to do 
to, you know, especially take care of these batteries. They are just designed to just work. And like the rest of the device, they're designed to work around you. Now, that brings me to um, a spinoff of that, which is apps. And one of the biggest, biggest myths that we hear is that we need to periodically go into the app switcher and close all of our apps. Because if we don't, so says the myth, it's going to degrade our battery life and it's going to also degrade performance. They say, the myth says you must close your apps. And this has literally been the source of arguments of people, you know, in, in the tech community. This could not be further from the truth. This myth is completely false. It's just wrong. Okay. If you've believed that way, that's fine. We don't, you know, we, we, we still love you, but you can just, it's wrong. Okay. So let me explain why it's wrong and, and what actually happens. When you leave an app by going to the home screen. You push the home button or you swipe up from the bottom, whatever the case may be. The app is running in the background. But iOS, your operating system on your devices, automatically manages memory. And whenever it needs to, it takes that app from an active state to a suspended state, a frozen state, and then to a closed state where it is not running. And even if it's in the app switcher, it's not taking up any memory. It's not taking up any performance processing power. And it certainly is not affecting the battery. iOS manages this stuff on its own without you having to intervene, without you having to go into the app switcher and close these apps. If anything, your force quitting the apps is actually harder on performance and battery life than if you just left well enough alone. Why? Because when you force quit an app and you relaunch it, now it has to fully redraw and reload that entire app experience. Whereas if it gets suspended by iOS, put into this frozen state, it can more quickly return to where you were and what you were doing. So by you force quitting an app, you're actually causing the processor to have to work harder when you open the app back up and consequently the battery. Now, again, neither one is detrimental. You don't have to worry about it if you, you, know, if you do that. But the point is, it's not necessary. And if anything, it's actually harder on the processor and the battery by you force quitting the apps because then they have to reload from scratch. Now, are there ever instances where it makes sense to force quit an app. There are a couple. The primary one is if the app is not behaving properly. If there's some glitch, something that normally works just fine, and this time it just isn't working. You know, again, these things can happen, right? You know, you're using an app and all of a sudden, oh, this is weird. It won't, you know, whatever. It always has. There's not been an update. It just didn't do it. You know, yeah, force quit the app, relaunch it. 99.9% chance that's going to fix the problem. The other instance in which you may want to force quit an app is certain apps that are constantly using your location. You're going to be better off to 
force quit them to save battery power because they're constantly accessing your location. And most apps are good at automatically surrendering that uh, when they need to. But again, if that's a concern, you can force quit the app. And a similar case is background audio. There are certain apps. I can think of one in particular that um, was a metronome app that I was using. And after I would leave the app, the audio just didn't sound right on the phone. It was using uh, the earpiece or something, you know, and I actually had to force quit that app to return the audio to normal. So background audio, background location apps, you can force quit them if you feel that that's necessary. But typically, this is not a thing to be concerned about. Um, this is you know, not something that a person has to do. And that is very clearly stated now in Apple's uh, user guide. You know, They tell you that there's no need to force quit apps um, unless the app is not performing as you expect it to. And so uh, that is the only time in which that is necessary. Um, on a similar note, related almost directly to that, is the what's correctly called the force restart. And there's even a lot of falsehoods surrounding the name of that. Some people call it a hard reset. Some people call it a soft reset. No, the correct name for it is a force restart. Okay. It's the one where you, on a, on a device with a, a physical home button, you press and hold the, the home button and the power button together for like 10 seconds on the newer devices that newer iPhones, you do the, the sequence volume up, volume down, and then hold the side button. This is correctly called a force restart. That is its name, not hard reset or soft reset. It's a force restart and it's never needed unless your device is not able to be turned off using the normal procedure. If your device has become so locked up that it won't even allow you to turn it off the normal way, then and only then do you want or need to use the force restart. There was a big myth that the force restart did more than turning it off regularly. You know, that it, it cleared things out better, people would say. You know, it doesn't. You just It's just another way of turning your device off when you can't get the slide to power off thing to pop up. Okay, so again, the only time that force restart is needed is when you can't, in the very unlikely event, that you cannot get it to work at all in any other way. And I had a customer the other day who had, a, uh, I think, a, I don't know if it was a, an iPad. It was an older iPad Pro, I think. And he unwittingly allowed the battery to drop to zero. And he plugged it back, he plugged it in, and it didn't power on. And I said, well, give it a few minutes because, you know, when the battery's down to zero, it's got to charge up a little bit before it'll turn on. So I said, wait a few minutes, see if you get a battery icon or a, an Apple logo or something. Well, nothing happened. So in that instance, I, I said to him, unplug it and plug it back in, see if that triggers it. Still nothing. So I said, okay, press and hold your home button and your top button for about 10 seconds. And sure enough, that solved the problem. Praise God, his iPad is working flawlessly again. Whatever happened, you know, it got into some kind of a lock state. It doesn't matter. It, you know, it, it's fine now. And that was a perfect time when we needed to use 
that uh, that force restart. But that's not something you need to use on any kind of a regular basis. It's not something you need to use by choice. Uh, as I say, the only time to to even consider that is if you can't do it any other way. Now, do you guys have anything on the team, anything that you'd like to add regarding um, any of these things that we've talked about so far? I'm good. (laughs) You're good? Yeah, I think that was pretty thorough. (laughs) Okay. All right. Cliff, anything? No mistakes to report. (laughs) (laughs) Are there other, uh, are there other things that you guys can think of? We, you know, got about a half hour yet and we'll allow some of that time for questions, but do you guys have any other myths or rumors? I have one more that I want to cover, but do you guys have any other myths or, you know, false claims that you hear about that we want to debunk? Well, I was thinking just some best practices, um, like to clean your screens regularly, um, you know, with a microfiber cloth or, um, you know, there's uh, glass cleaning, you know, wipes that are relatively safe. There are even uh, Clorox wipes can be used now if you, I would rinse them, wring them out, you know, have a wet I was so excited when I saw that because I had already been doing it anyway, but I thought that it was probably something I shouldn't be doing. And I was so excited to see when Apple released that. I think they they only started saying that after the, you know, the COVID stuff came around, but they said you can clean it with Clorox. But like she said, you want to wring that out. You don't want it to be sopping wet. And you also want to make sure you don't get water or, or, or liquid, you know, inside the device. Ports, yeah. Right. You might get, you know, a little bit of distortion if you clean the speakers with a Clorox. What you, it may for, you know, a day or so sound a little garbled, but it'll it'll clear itself out. It's not, you know, a problem. Uh, but you want to, yeah, you don't want it to be soaking wet. That's for sure. Yeah. And I uh, just also just remember um, temperature, you know, um, extremes and temperatures, freezing cold um, as well. And especially heat. Um you don't leave your iOS devices in the sun, um, you know, because uh, that will really, I mean, it, your battery gets so heated up, especially if it's turned on and it's got true tone, it will try to adjust the brightness for the sun so that people can see the screen and your phone will get hot, you know, if you keep it, you know, exposed. You don't want extreme heat exposure. Don't leave it in a hot car. Um, you know, kinds of things, common sense kinds of things. Um, There's also, um, I've seen some, I found some really cool, they're little rubber, um, they're they're like a snaky, like a cord. It's about an inch long and they're little rubber uh, wraps that go around your cord where you plug it into your phone and it helps protect the cord from getting bent from you plugging it in and unplugging it and plugging it in. Sometimes those wires get a little frayed, um, you know, where the lightning connector connects to the uh, piece that goes into your, to your phone, you know, um, uh, just never shove anything into a port when it's not going in easily. Correct. Um, there might be some lint or, you know, something, you know, uh, you know, keep your devices clean. Um, 
uh, you know, uh, do your, please do software updates. There's a lot yes. of people who do not update their software because they're like, I don't want to update the software because I'm afraid some will break, you know, and it's like, um, these software updates are maximized for, uh, you know, security breaches and, and up, you know, everybody updates their apps to match the newest software. So you really do want to update your software on a regular basis. Uh, yes. And, and, and I can honestly say, unless I'm forgetting something, I can honestly say, you know, in the, what year are we in 2021? So in the, in the 12, almost 12 uh, years that I've been an iPhone user now, I, I have never seen a major bug that hasn't been eventually fixed. You know what I mean? There are, yeah. there are occasionally small things that hold over right now. There's one I can think of that is still even in 14.4. It's very small. There's workarounds for it. I can't talk about what it is because four hasn't been released yet, but it's really tiny. It's been around a little bit and it annoys some people who use it, but it's easy to work around. It's not a problem. It doesn't prevent anything. We got to get that in our minds. If it's a bug, but it doesn't prevent the, the operation, you, if you can work around it. Before you uh, run up into that, Brita brought me right into one of the one annoyances that I hear all the time about Apple devices, more specifically with the Mac, but people ask about it on the phone. Do I need to get spyware or malware on your phone? Not oh. if you use common sense. Right. I've been right. using a Mac for oh, almost 10 years now, and I've never installed any kind of spyware, malware, or you know, security stuff on my phone or Mac to prevent, uh, you know, wor uh, internet worms or, you know, whatever to get in. I mean, if you use common sense, don't open an email from attachment from somebody you don't know. Don't open a tab message that you don't recognize. Don't click on an embedded link unless you know who it's from. I mean, these are just things that if you use common sense practices that you won't have to worry about endangering your device, whether it's your Mac, your phone, iPad, or whatever that you don't have to worry about. So, and, and I, I even, as I've shared in other contexts before, I, I even take that email thing a step farther, which is that anybody that I know typically is going to tell me directly that they've sent me something, you know, if Cliff sends me an email He's going to tell me that he's sent it, you know, or I can detect the language of how they talk to me. And, you know, if they put a little blurb in the, um, you know, I, I th I'm thinking the other day, my um, pastor, who's, you know, also a friend of ours, uh, you know, sent me something and it was a forward, but he put a little blurb at the beginning of it. So I knew it was him. I knew it was really, you know, because I, I knew the, the way that he talks and I knew that was actually him. You don't want to, you know, but I would not have opened it if I couldn't confirm in my mind. And most times I would ask the person, did you really send me this? If, if there's any doubt at all. So yeah, don't open attachments unless you know, not only that they're from people that you recognize, but also, you know, that factually it's really them. They weren't hacked or something, you know, and, and they really intended to send this to you. And please be careful what you what you download, you know, those common sense things. And then Rita, you mentioned the, um, the plugs, the cables and uh, those sorts of things. So um, Rita, I saw a, a $5 light. Oh God, cable. you're going to test me again. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just being, you know, but it, it, it's, I, I saw a $5 lightning cable on Amazon, you know, made by Wong Chang, nothing against the Chinese, but I'm just picking something unknown, unheard of, you know, and I can get this for $5 instead of my $29 one from Apple. Shouldn't I buy this cheaper one? I mean, in that good, uh, you know, uh, budgeting? No, don't do it. <laughs> no, it, it's it's a terrible idea. It's an absolutely it's horrible a, idea. Exactly. I don't buy it how, unless it says Apple certified. Right. Well, that and that's the that's the step. It, the companies have to go through a certification process. Um, I don't know if they're still. I think they're still using the term MFI, made for iPhone, made for I, whatever. Um, that was always the classic term anyway. But Apple certified, you know, and those are the only ones you want to trust. And the thing is that the companies you know, Apple, Belkin. Um, What's another good one? I guess Amazon. Does Amazon Basics have certified lightning cables? I don't remember. Yeah, they do. And Anchor's another good one. And Anchor's another good one. Yeah. Anchor. So these these companies that you know that you've heard of, and I can tell you this, they're not going to be five dollars. All right, they might be a little less than Amazon or than Apple's. You know, twenty nine in some cases, but they're not going to be uh, extremely bargain basement. You got to buy the quality. You know that saying. You get what you, you get what you paid for was not invented by a dummy. You know, it, it came into existence for a reason. Uh, so, you yeah. know, um, yeah. Yep. Um, anything else, guys, before we before we go to questions? Um, ju- um, just a, uh, adapters, uh, the the blocks. Um, yep. A lot of times I'll see people um, misusing. They'll they'll try to use an iPhone block to charge their ipad um you know and or you want the right (laughs) adapter the right voltage for your device you know you don't want to charge your mac with an iphone cable (laughs) (laughs) you you know you i mean just use what is recommended for that device use the ipad charger for the ipad you know yeah Um, especially that one like you can use an iphone you can use an iPad charger for an iPhone, but if you try to use an iPhone charger for an iPad, it's really going to be very, very slow. And depending on what you're doing, like if you try to use the device at the same time as you're charging, it may not even charge. It may be using more power than it's getting. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, use the use the correct, especially when it needs a larger one. Um, Apple is now actually shipping these 20 watt um and, and and if they don't ship it, they offer it, you know, for sale. Uh, and it, it's its newest charger, I think, these 20-watt USB-C chargers. Um, and then what you get is a USB-C to lightning if you have a lightning device or, you know, a USB-C to USB-C if you, if you have a USB-C device, obviously. But um, those, right. are, and, those are really good. And learn learn these terms you know like the for the um you know the uh usbc usba and to usbc is for you know your uh you know say for your mac or whatever you know you want to have the right cord (laughs) to go into the right thing and don't shove anything ever that doesn't go in easily into your electronics because right, you, could, right. you could fry that device, you know? Yeah. You, you just don't want to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, let's, uh, let's see if there are some questions about anything else that you guys have heard um, that you want some clarification on or anything we've talked about today. And then before we close, I'll 
you know, give you some updates on uh, what on some things that we're doing here at TTJ. But let's see if we can get some questions first. Yes, we have a few hands up, and the first hand up is a uh, is Linda. You a now talk. Can you hear me? Yes, we, we can. Yeah, I have. Well, there's two. One comment, and then a question. Um, have you? Watch the Netflix movie Social Dilemma? No. I have not. No. Okay. It talks about them, the privacy issue and how um, they're following everything that we do and their whole purpose is to get us to stay engaged and all this. It's very interesting. It's very eye-opening. Um, and they had a, cup, a couple of the guys that invented this stuff talked about how it's uh, not a really good thing privacy wise now and how they're using it against us. And I've even had, I mean, when you say they're not listening and maybe they're doing it by, by machines or stuff, but my husband will be talking and my iPhone or iPad will be on or our TV. And then we will get emails about exact, the same exact subject that we were talking about. So it's kind of weird. Um, and my question was, I have an iPhone XS Max. And when you say not to do that forced restart, I'm confused. When I, I power off my devices at night before I go to bed, and I do it by hitting, I don't have the home button anymore. So I hit one of the volume keys and the uh, power button on the top of them. Is that? Uh, which no, that's not, force, that's no, not that, a force. No, that's restart. that's not a force restart. That's a standard power off. Now, I would still, I would still say that's not necessary, especially not leaving it off, because by leaving it off, um, you're actually preventing some background tasks that are potentially important. Like, for example, automatic iCloud backups will occur when the device is plugged in, turned on, asleep, and on Wi-Fi. So if you have the device off, you know, those kinds of things that could be happening in the background uh, to help you out, like iCloud backups, maybe even software updates are not happening. Um, so I yeah, wouldn't don't even, do it. Yeah, I wouldn't even say okay, that's not, necessary. Don't turn your um, phone off. <laughs> but no, that's that's definitely not what we were referring to. And uh, to your what are you? Oh, what ahead, are you? Re- what are you referring to? What is a forced restart then? It's what a sequential, is the sequential on on your device it would be a sequential press of volume up followed by volume down followed by holding the power button uh, the side button in for about 10 oh. or 15 seconds and it's designed if you can't turn the device off normally uh to restart it and it needs to be restarted you know it's locked up or something um, okay my reasoning that i turn these things off is because and i could very well be way off base that because we are getting emails and things that somebody, and maybe not a person, but something is listening to our conversations in the house. And my thought process was, if I shut them down, they weren't, you know, we could have some privacy here. I, no. I, I, I would, ha- you know, it's, it's hard for me, or I think any of us to give you a quick, um, uh, you know, it was something we need to be talking about more in depth. Um, but I, I, you know, all I can say to your, your first point and, and following that second point is that 
I, I respectfully disagree with it to an extent. I'm not doubting your story, but I, 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 you know, again, you have to apply a little bit of, um, there are probably, I don't know, we'd have to ask Google how many billion iPhone users there are. And that's just the iPhone. That's not everything else. You know, it, it just doesn't make logical sense. And, and if, if you're getting emails telling you that people are doing that, that's a scam. Uh, that's no, no, to... I'm not, get, I'm not getting emails that, but, and, and I've known many people that the same thing is, happens to them. And sometimes it comes from something that Alexa has picked up. Like if we're talking about windows, we will get emails from a window company, you know, for new windows or something, an email related to that sub subject that we were talking about. Well, there can be, there can be uh, a connection between your search. You know, if you ask a question or you Google something, those things are definitely used to influence your, your search results and stuff. I mean, that, that does happen. Um, and that's but, Google. Uh, that's not it listening. I, right. I just would, it's not a good idea to turn off your phone every night because you're missing out on iCloud backups and software updates that are things that are going on in the background. So you can just put the phone to sleep, you know, just turn it off, you know, with the side, you know, just tap the side button, put it to sleep, put it on the charger and let it charge overnight with doing those background updates and software updates and iCloud backup. Right. When you you say turn it off, you're just talking, hitting the the top button. The the side button or the top button. Yeah. Just tap it once and you know, it goes to sleep. Okay. Yeah. You know, don't, don't hold down on it. Just tap it once and it goes to sleep. Okay. Locks the screen. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I get what, I get what you're saying. Um, is it, and is it okay to, I I don't think that you guys covered this. Is it okay to be using your app while you're charging? And is there a problem of overcharging it? It's perfectly fine to use it while you are charging it and know it, they, they cannot overcharge, um, because there is, protection in the circuitry that doesn't uh allow that to happen um but, but don't leave it i wouldn't leave your on forever <laughs> right right <laughs> i mean for weeks and weeks and you know what i mean don't you know right. take it off of the oh charger. no right right no yeah okay thank you all right thank you okay our next hand is eva sanchez you are allowed to talk Hi. So now you just gave me a new question, but I do have uh, the question I originally raised my hand for. But all right, we might I, have time for we might have time for both. <laughs> I, I'm quick. I'm quick. Right. I um I don't plug things in overnight. Let's say I've I've got something run down low, and I will only plug it in until I'm ready to go to bed because I I worry about it being plugged in all night. But you're saying that's okay to have it plugged in all night. Yeah, yes. uh, absolutely. And again, as long as you're okay. using genuine, genuine products, I mean, you know, you're not oh, yeah. skimping on, you know, yeah. The in, okay. and, and overnight, in my opinion, is the best time because number one, it's not 
preventing anything. You know, I don't have to worry about my phone being plugged in when I want to take it somewhere, you know. And, and secondly, like I said, these things that can happen in the background while your phone is um, right. asleep. Are, are oh, really I, don't, good. I don't turn it off. No, I, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, but well, right. But see, also, like, if you're actively using your phone and it's awake, then it won't back up. Like, it has to be asleep and plugged in and on Wi-Fi to actually do a backup. Okay. Technically, yep. that's not true. Oh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Let me see now, where you're going if, with it. If, if you want, if you want it to back up on its own without you telling it to, then that's the sequence you can follow. But if I go to my backup right now, tell it to do a backup, leave yes. iCloud and go do something else, then it will back it up. But yes. yeah, yeah, you, you can do, do it, it from own, settings. But. That's right. But to get okay. it to do it from on its own, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. My other question is actually more important, though. Um, and I, I don't know if this is considered a myth, but you always hear about, you know, teaching Siri to to understand or say something. And on my new 12 Pro that I finally got, um, my daughter's name is Ginger. She's in my contact. She's also listed as my emergency contact. And I can tell Siri, call Ginger, no problem. I tell Siri, send message to Siri or to Ginger, and she always tells me that there is no Ginger in my contacts, and I can't convince her that it's the same person that she calls. Is really? and Ginger is in your con? She's uh, an actual yes. contact in your contacts. Yes. Um, have and who? What relation is she to you? Did you say she's my daughter? Okay. Um, because one of the things. What were you going to say, Rita? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Uh, no, that's okay. Um. I would go into Ginger's contact, you know, the actual contact card you have for Ginger. Right. Yeah. Okay. And turn on the edit, you know, hit the edit button. Okay. Mm -hmm. And go field by field, you know, Ginger, you know, the correct spelling, make sure there's no spaces, you know, her, her middle name, her last name, her, her iPhone, make sure it says iPhone on her phone instead of just phone. Right. Oh, maybe. Right. You know what I mean? Make sure it says email. Uh, put her Make, birthday right. in. Put her birthday. Put her, uh, put her okay. address in in the correct. Make sure those fields. This are is just correctly. personal preference with me, but I feel I think that Siri has more success with it being a mobile phone for a text message I rather than think, the iPhone. Yes, I have seen that. That's probably it. I and what you, you want it. to also do is put the related, the relationship, because then you can tell Siri text my daughter and you don't even have to worry about the name you know you can just say it that way and she will know who your daughter is that's why okay. i asked yes. how she's related yeah okay i was gonna try um text my emergency contact but i, I didn't want it to end up doing something weird so yeah right exactly. yeah you want to be careful with that one yeah exactly. i don't know okay. yeah i wouldn't do that either yeah okay all right but you could Thank tell you. that it's your daughter there is a field for that and why were you asking the relationship? <laughs> and because well, that that that's why. Oh, because okay. because you can put that relationship in there so that it will know. Then you don't have to say text Ginger. You can say text my daughter. Okay. Yeah, good. and after you fix it, okay, save it. You know, hit done. Yeah. Okay, and then go back to your home, and then call up Siri and say. Hey, you know who? Ginger so and so is my daughter. Say that to Siri. Okay. Well, if she because feels on a relationship, feels she actually won't have to. 
I know, but I, I would do it just as a backup. I, it's just my compulsiveness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had a very weird thing happen as far as that concerned. My one of my home pods didn't think it knew who my my son was and said, do you want me to remember? I said, yeah, you know, but I mean, it was on my Apple ID. I don't know why that happened, but it was weird, but it's fine now. But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to do it both way even, you know, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. The other thing is, before you go, does she pronounce your daughter's name the right way? Yeah, she does. Okay. I just wanted to know because my daughter, his name is Naomi. And for whatever reason, because the way it's spelled, other people call her Naomi. And Siri was doing the same thing and it drove her up the wall. So she told Siri, Hey, you know that person. My name is Naomi. And Siri said, Huh? She said, Pronounce my name, Naomi, not Naomi. And ever since then, Siri has been calling her Naomi because my daughter does not like being called Naomi. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I know I've been able to teach her how to pronounce things in the past, yep. but. You know, yeah, n- n- this at the time she was only 10 years old, but she told Siri, don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> <That's cute. clears throat> OK, sounds good. Thank you. All right. OK, next up we have William. You may talk. William. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. I have two questions. Is the HomePod Mini blind friendly? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yep. You can talk to it with Siri. Yes. (laughs) Does it have Alexa on it? No, it's an Apple product, not an Amazon product. Right. It has Siri on it. Play um, Spotify on it. Matt, can Spotify it again? be loaded now? Yeah, yeah, I think it can. Uh, I know you can do it through AirPlay, but it may be one of the ones that can be automatically used now, like Pandora. I'm not sure. All right. And how much is it? The HomePod the- Mini is ninety nine dollars. Right. And can, can you? Um, discuss the different iPads because I'm in the process of getting an iPad. Um, I would absolutely love to. I don't know that we have time today to do that. Uh, what I would suggest is that you get in touch with us by uh, the Messages app. Do you use the Messages app on your phone? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give you two message addresses that you can send to, uh, and they're, they're not phone numbers, they're email addresses, but you can use the messages app to send iMessages. And one, one of them is the tech juggernaut at iCloud.com. So it's the word the, T-H-E, the word tech, T-E-C-H, and the word juggernaut, J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T, at iCloud.com. And also the other one is stir it up, but stir is spelled with a U. So it's S-T-U-R-I-T-U-P at iCloud.com. And both of us will be happy to I love talking about the iPads and and you know helping you to get the right one for you and, and all that. And we have a free course coming up 
on the iPad starting in March. So I'd really love to talk with you about that. I just don't think we have time today. And that goes for anybody on this call listening oh, to the live feed. Yeah. Send us messages anybody. with questions to how to yes. sign up for our free courses and get information on what else we do. Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Do you also send out notes or is this being recorded or what? So I could, because I wasn't able to write it down. Sorry, I didn't catch that. Um, okay. What, uh, what was, it is what being was recorded. You guys it is being recorded. Yes. It is being recorded. Yes. Okay. Okay. All and right. There'll be a podcast. So where do I find the podcast? So it'll be on ACB Radio. Um, if you put an ACB Radio on your podcatcher, uh-huh. or ACB Community in your podcatcher, you will find it that way. Hey, right, thank you. Thank you. And they, uh, you really should sign up for the ttjtech.net blog uh, so you can follow all these announcements, you know, that TTJ has about courses and information. So it's ttjtech.net. Go there and um, follow the blog by email. Yes. And submit your email address and and then respond to that email that comes in so it knows you're not a robot and then you'll get the announcements right right absolutely okay our uh, next hand up is a uh, debbie etheridge you hey talk debbie okay can you hear me Yes, yes, we can. Okay. I have two questions real quick. Um, my iPad is about uh, possibly two years old, but I didn't know what the life expectancy was because I'm running into a lot of problems. I won't have it off charge uh, that long, and the battery will run down. And I know it depends on what you do but um, with it, but um, what's the life expectancy of an iPad and the charging cables – how long do they typically uh well last? Uh, do you know do you know which iPad it is or or can you check for us if you go to settings and then uh general and about what the name of the iPad is um like I think it's sixth a, generation eight generation seven <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I will have to I know I've had it about two probably two years, but I, I would have to go to settings and see. I didn't think to check that before I got on the call. Okay. The the reason I asked that, I'll try to answer your question anyhow. Um but the reason I asked that, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be difficult, but there's a lot of factors that, you know, each year things are improved and part of what's improved is the uh the lifespan of them because faster processors have been put in them. Um so, for example, from the seventh to the eighth generation iPad last year to this year, there was literally only, well, technically, I guess, two changes if you count the charging block, but really one change that was made to the iPad internals, uh, and it was the processor. But it was a major, major difference in the processor. They went from a dual core to a quad core. Uh, they went from like dual core graphics to six core graphics. They added an eight core neural engine. So, all of that translates to you know, a couple of extra years of life out of the iPad. Now, having said that, as long as you have 
you know, something pretty recent, you should be able to expect four to five years on an iPad. Uh, but the other thing is, again, the changes may warrant upgrading sooner. Uh, again, it's, it's a little bit of a tricky question to answer. So I'd kind of give you the same advice that I gave the last gentleman, which is to get in touch with me and I can take longer to ask you some specific questions, find out which model that is. That, that would really help me to advise you knowing which model that is. If you had a fifth generation, I would absolutely say upgrade. If you had a sixth generation, I would probably still say upgrade, although I know Rita is perfectly happy with her sixth generation still, you know, uh, and she intends to to run it till it won't function anymore, which is fine. But, you, you know, mm-hmm. from sixth to even seventh, they added an extra gigabyte of memory in just one year. And now they've added the processor speed bump. So, you know, there's all kinds of factors here. And as far as the cables, that's definitely a, a thing to consider. Um, I mean, the cables are not very expensive, you know, buying them even directly from Apple. Uh, and I think it's, you know, they they can easily go bad without you even knowing it because they can get a little, you know, microscopic uh, tear in the cord or, or as we said earlier, they get uh, frayed right at the, where they tend to fray is at the connection point, you know, um, and actually, I, I have found that getting the shorter ones like Apple Supplies is is well, tends to be better because the longer ones, you know, they get caught in stuff. You sit on them and you don't realize it, you know, and then they get bent. So, yeah, that's something you could easily replace. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to talk to you more about this if you get in touch with me. I don't know if you got that info that we shared, uh, which, you know, applies to everybody, those iMessage addresses and ttjtech.net. Um, you know, get in touch and I'd be happy to to give you a better answer at that point. And for those of you who didn't get your questions answered, again, that same information that I gave a few minutes ago, the tech juggernaut at iCloud.com and stir it up with a U at iCloud.com. Uh, those are iMessage addresses, even though they're emails. So you can actually go into your messages app and you can text us and we can, you know, have an instant real time back and forth, just like texting. Uh, and, uh, you can also send email if you're more comfortable with that, but it's going to be slower response time because I get a, a few hundred emails a day. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, subscribing to that blog at TTJ tech, tango, tango, Juliet, and then T E C H dot N E T. So we'll happily answer your questions even in between things. And, uh, we thank you for joining us today. God bless you and have a wonderful week and we will be back next week. <laughs>